Welcome everybody to Trigs Act Show Halloween special. Uh, same as last year. This is awesome. Last year we had uh, James Anito and Carl Johnson from uh, Duo Demonology, and uh, we had them talk about some spirits, some uh, adventures they were into. We're gonna pick up right where we left off last year. Um, I got some questions now. I saved them for a whole year because honestly, I don't know anyone else who is in your field and I don't feel like walking up to a random stranger and just asking him these questions because it'd be really weird. So do not laugh at me. This is pretty straightforward. Last time you guys spoke about demons, spirits, and, and things like that. I do want to know when you come across these spirits, do you know immediately, like when you're meeting a person, if they're good or bad, or you have to like feel them out a bit, please let me know in case I come across one. Well, I want to throw a little ring in there first, but, answer, um, I would say crap. I hopefully your expectations after a year. If not, apologize, man. It could be like the new Batman movie. Um, <laughs> but um, in, in all seriousness, though, yes, I think uh, Carl and I, um, I don't know if it's a spiritual thing or just something that's wired within our, the confines of our body. I believe I have the gift of discernment. So I usually can have a good idea uh, if somebody's good or not. And sometimes I go against my own gut and do stupid shit anyway. Um, but in the same token, I do always get that gut feeling. And if I don't listen to my gut, it seems to be wrong. Maybe that's a synchronicity thing, a Carl Young thing. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think we have the uh, ability to kind of understand the surroundings. And I think it's because we've trained ourselves, dealt with Well, people. I think we kind of absorb it in our, yeah. we sense it in our environment through the spider senses tingling. Um, because spirits do, they can have an attitude, which is strange considering they don't have minds and brains the, mm -hmm. like we do, but um, there are influences, let's say. Mm -hmm. And you can usually tell where they're coming from if they're, you know, if they're resentful. And that's their prime. Yeah. You know, when we run into what we call the demons, their, their prime emotion seems to be resentment. Envy, fear, all these untoward yeah. emotions, anger, but resentment against human beings. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a natural occurrence, to be honest with you. Um, I think anybody can feel that. Yeah, I know that everybody likes to throw empathy around, and being empathic and clairvoyant, kind of sentient, clairaudient, psychic medium. Mm -hmm. I, think can, I think every corner has a tarot card reader, um, So especially where we are. But everybody wants to claim to be something, and yes, we do as well, but the, the token of it is, is that um, – People that go to work every day, uh, maybe they react differently. If they don't like going to work every day, they deal with and work with, you know, people that are uh, pieces of crap. And that really uh, and kind of goes within their body. They don't, they, it makes them stressed out, starts making them sick to their stomach because they don't want to be there. It's the toxicity of the people around you. So people do feel that emotion on a daily basis, but it's, it's interpreted different when you're dealing with something external, something that's uh, maybe a spirit or a demon. But we deal with them on a daily basis. Sometimes we just deal with the different. Yeah, and they're very in insubstantial creatures, too. I mean, we tend to think of them being very formidable and just living in another dimension. But there's not – they're kind of flimsy. There's not all that much to what we call the demon. Their strength is illusion and bluffing, yeah. you know, which can be a powerful force because they can keep at it. Interestingly, though, we find out that these entities we call demons need to rest and retreat for a while after an assault things lie low for a while. So it seems like they're regrouping, but you know, who is more affected by the, uh, the presence of the demon is children and children are deceived by them. Sometimes they are a nice lady. I remember a case in Brooklyn, New York, where the nice lady comes into my bedroom. And then when 
after about her third visit, she sh smiled, and she, but she had a bad smile. She had pointed teeth, you know, because a lore about demonology is that the demon cannot perfectly replicate the human form, mm -hmm. that there has to be something to reveal them if they appear or if they're sensed. And sometimes it's a, they say it's a body part missing, you know. Oh. I think it's only because they can't, they just don't have the mechanics to create an apparition, yeah, yeah. an apparition of a person, yeah. you know, but it's, I think it's more, more prosaic to say that they, they, because it's God's law, they can't come on as human beings. Mm -hmm. I think they just don't have the battery power to do that, mm -hmm. you know, but for whatever reason, they, they must appear imperfectly, where if it's a human generated spirit, it usually looks like a person going about their business and suddenly looking, they're not there. That happens a lot in historic yeah. sites. Like where I was employed for 14 years, historic Slater Mill site in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Sometimes you do, oh, who was that nice interpreter? That, that who's wearing the costume there? You get that at museum, or you know, if a, an old structure is turned into a museum, like Clouds Hill in, in Warwick, Rhode Island, East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Uh, I said, who was that man in the costume? Who was that lady? She had a very nice costume. I turned around, she was gone. I said, well, that's our ghost. People report seeing her. You have that in different environments. Whereas if it's demonic, in reports, they're usually looking at the subject. They're looking at you. They're aware of you, not just floating around. And there's something wrong, something missing. One thing that happens when it's a demonic apparition is they're missing the eyes. They're just black holes where the eyes should be. Kind of a creepy premise there. Yeah, before, before, before I lose this, though, before you go too much on a tangent, it's good. Um, he said prosaic. I'm I'm this is a funny show sometimes, man. We mean serious, but he said prosaic. Prosaic, good, tangential. But no, but a, a good interpretation of what you want to watch for people that uh, are interested in watching television shows. It was called Haunted Heartland, and a man that you guys hopefully respect, Prozac, was Steve Shippey was um, one of the investigators, and our friend Michael Salerno was on yeah, that and they have some interpretations of the, some of the dark cases they dealt with, but I just wanted to give a shout out for that because he's awesome. Solid shout out there. I, I have a question. Oh, about ghosts. I have a question about ghost clothing. Yes. So, it's, so, <laughs> so if you see somebody, right, you said somebody in the costume, yeah. Is that so if you see some lady from like, I don't know, the Civil War era and she's wearing one of those big dresses, um, is that a, maybe her favorite outfit? Is that what she died in? Is that what they are saying? But like, what if someone died in the shower? Are they going to be? <laughs> I don't know if they're really showering during the Civil War. But no, when they, but if, if I if I died in the shower tonight and I was a ghost, would I like be covering my privates when I scared people? Oh, let's experiment. Let's find out. <laughs> Go hang yourself in the shower tonight. <laughs> yeah, you'd forever, forever be dripping wet. Yes, you know? <laughs> they'd be reaching for the towel. That's what they're going about, the naked person reaching for the towel. Yes. They're very ghostly. That's it. Yeah, I think that'd be oh, fascinating. James, the, way to James, haunt, James. the way to haunt people is James, to go up James, really, really, really quick. So, if he were to die in the shower tonight, you know how like some some spirits get enclosed in places they can't leave. Would he just be stuck in his shower, and people who <laughs> would, would constantly see him like in a repetitive loop? Yeah, like could yeah. you imagine yeah. him out of the shower? Yeah. Could you imagine too? It's like his way of haunting too. Is you like he was in the shower saying, "You spin me right round, baby." <laughs> 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 
Yeah. You know how annoying it would be if your shower is going. That's it. Hold on, I It's that or he steals the towels. That would explain a lot. Everybody, everybody who moves in complains. I don't understand why. Every time I take a shower, my towels are gone. Yeah, in the winter, you're freezing. You reach out, no towel. And I'm like. Now, now, doesn't that tell us something about the standard definition of a ghost? That, you know, oh, they are just people and they're lost for a time. They, they have unfinished business yeah. and we need to help them move into the light. We need a psychic medium to help them move, move into the light. Oh, we don't know if that's a good thing. I mean, I hope it is. But, <laughs> yeah. um, why do the ghosts have clothes? Do they have astral clothes? Should they, they have to wear clothes? And I don't think they're, you know, they always, I mean, ghosts don't always appear at their best either. Yeah. They don't automatically become young and, you know, alluring. They, they generally look like they did when they died. I'd be yeah. pissed if I was you know, something, if I was something a poorly different. clothed ghost. I'd be so mad if like my mind went to a place where I just was a bad dresser. As a <laughs> <laughs> like you still wore jean shorts? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so you'd still be in cargo shorts. Well, I, no, jean shorts are going to make a comeback. You heard it here first. I hope that answered your question. Go on, Ellie. Okay, so I've talked to some people and they've, some people like kind of your medium um, that certain spirits have certain smells, so, like they can smell when there's like a spirit around, like typically good spirits have a good smell and bad spirits have a bad smell. Is that, shut up, dog. Sorry. That's her spirit right there. <laughs> That's her friend. Shut up, dog. Do you guys come across that or does that, can you guys smell them or is James that has an answer. yeah for, i i got this i got this answer from a few people that i know that i know a few people as well i'm just not so i'm sorry um but no seriously though yes uh smells tend to be associated with uh some certain spirits uh i think it's a, a remembrance thing in most cases in a ghostly form maybe it is that repetition that they smoked a cigar or a cigarette or some other kind of goodness um within that environment and it permeates um when maybe they are around as a demon it might be the usual the sulfur the burning flesh or the rotten flesh um but i think a lot of these smells are nuances or uh, replications to what we conceive to be bad or good yeah to connect to certain individuals like rotten flesh um uh, of course any of the sulfur smells like nobody wants to smell rotten eggs or rotten flesh so um that comes to mind of uh, as a, a smell that can uh emulate because it, it's something that can scare us or uh heighten our fear factor of what's going on it, it's an association to a certain thing yes and so it seems to occur in cases you know the cases i've worked in yes that has been an occurrence um but you can't always lean on that because there could be a squirrel in the attic that dead as well that's creating that so you can't always jump to that conclusion. You have to make sure you check the boxes off before yeah, right. you associate any smell to something. Right. Let's turn it around. Let's not say that the demon is trying to be repulsive or that's naturally how they are or a higher celestial being like an angel is going to have the smell of sanctity, which is supposed to be like roses. Perhaps that's how we have to perceive them. Yeah. Perhaps okay. we're putting the cart before the horse, you know, that they have they. Uh, we think they're going to smell bad if they're evil, so that's how our minds yeah. interpret it. That's what our minds produce. Yeah. You know, if it's something 
you know, an air of sanctity. I've heard of that, but sometimes it's, it's a pleasing smell. It's uh, like roses. And that has even been associated with demonic manifestation. Mm-hmm. They smell something sweet, you know, something almost perfumey. Like yeah, sweetheart soap, true. if you yeah, remember that. Does, yeah. You know, that's what people report. And it's, it's not always a wholesome thing. What's you sweetheart know, soap? What's yeah. sweetheart soap? You don't remember sweetheart soap. My grandfather used to get that. He had that yes. around the house. No. My grandfather ran a convalescent home, a nursing home. And I associate that olfactory is a powerful cue. You know, like uh, it, it evokes memories. Yeah. It was like the it's old like, spice of the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it always had, I don't think they make it anymore. I haven't seen it in many years. No. Sweetheart soap. It was a pink bar and it had a little soap design, uh, like a rose design impressed on it. Hmm. But that's uh, the closest I've gotten to smelling the, the scent of sanctity. Yeah. And uh, so when a saint dies, somebody, in, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Catholic Church, when someone who's uh, adjudicated or uh, beautified as a saint, their bodies emit, especially if they're non-corrupt, yeah. which happens sometimes, they emit an air of sanctity, that sweet smell. But that's also been associated with like spooky stuff like yeah, the demons. Sure. So basically, I could either, anytime I smell something bad, I could blame it on a dead squirrel in my attic. Or you're having a stroke. Or, 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 or your fatulence, your fatu- your you know, you I, might that could be too, chili, yeah. jalapenos. That's also, that's also associated with the demonic lore, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, more demonic than other times. I'll go, yeah. with the, go on, Ellie. Go. Thing, because I know we're, we're like, I went to school where my husband is from. Have you guys been down to New Orleans or just in the South in general, to any of those old plantation homes? Yeah, I have. Yes, we both have, actually. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, like, I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's a lot of action in those above ground cemeteries. Like those things have got to be just booming with spirits and stuff. I would think so, because you get that impression when you go by them. Yeah, well, yeah, they're staring you in the face. Especially after Katrina and the flooding, you think that's like, oh, God, what kind of an atmosphere is this now? Well, right. that's how, but that's how they ended up figuring out, oh, we have to bury people above the ground, because when they were doing that, then yeah. a hurricane would come, and then all of a sudden they just have dead bodies floating everywhere. And like, well, a practical, pragmatic reason for burying them above the, ground. Above ground, it is. It is. But so the, so the Cemeteries in New Orleans aren't buzzing with activity. Well, I think especially if you live down there and you're like uh, prone to that, you know, if it's an interest of yours, then they will be. Yeah, people they, who aren't interested are not going to experience that. Yeah, and two, I'm I not think really it's, one of those personally, but yes, I think it's just two more than the elevated cemeteries. Too, you think about New Orleans; it is uh, a party city, but it's also, um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't talk about. It, it's a very violent and dangerous city to be a part of if you're not knowing where you're going. So mm-hmm. between those two mixtures of things, you know, it is lively in many different ways, and like Carl mm-hmm. said, and how you interpret it and perceive it, it might uh, haunt you as well. Oh yeah, it can definitely be. No one's can definitely sure. be a yeah. place. But have you so have you been to plantation homes or like old slave quarters? Yeah, I've been to Myrtles, and I've I've been a few in Biloxi area. Yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm good friends with Kevin Betzer and Randy Hardy, who are on uh, Deep South Paranormal. Very good friends of mine. Okay. I have a funny story about Kevin. I went to New Orleans uh, to do an event in Biloxi with him, and uh, as soon as he picked me up from the airport, his brand new truck gets hit. And we get hit. That's all. That was pretty awesome. We got a car accident as right as right as I arrived. Which center bunk? I think not. That's where it is. Center bunk. Center bunk is the with a uh, yeah. Well, I was down in New Orleans in the French Quarter, Lafayette Street. Yeah. Inve- investigating a haunted house. It was actually documented for an episode of The Haunted. Ooh. There's a bar on Bourbon too. That's <laughs> yeah. 
Have you guys gone in there? No, I've no, not been in no, there. No. no. So we were right on, you know, in Anne Rice territory, interview with the vampire, right in that area <coughs> where she sets her story. So uh, I was investigating a house with Chris Fleming. <coughs> Excuse me. That's candy to get me now. So, yeah. But Chris Fleming and I were on a case that was, uh, they had a wicked haunting there. It was actually cult activity that had transpired. A cult had purchased that house, which was a grand old mansion that for a time was a working funeral home. And uh, it was the cult of Ardun. And so uh, the folks who wondered who, uh, bought the house, two ladies, two sisters, and their offspring wondered why the mirrors were all covered over or removed. Some mirrors were covered, you know, like wrapped up. Uh, some were spray painted, some were just removed. <laughs> so you couldn't really go in there and look at a mirror. And that's when they reasoned there's something strange. There's some kind of club or cult was here. And it turned out there was. Crazy. And they actually, as far as they know, they didn't perform human sacrifices. That's but it good. is possible they did. Oh. But they did practice cannibalism. Well, Jews covered mirrors. But also indulged. Were they by chance Jewish or anyone on their Jews? Because Jews will cover mirrors and when they're mourning somebody. Right, so in the that morning. Yeah. No, no. It, uh, what inspired them, I don't know if we ever found out but no they weren't they uh they believed in kind of like getting uh, you know they recognizing your mortality yeah they would perform symbolic human sacrifices but it's speculated that they might have pulled off a few actual human sacrifices i we didn't we never knew Jeez, but they were into egyptian lore too so this house was virulently haunted and we investigated it and came up with a strategy and Oh, there's, if you watch that episode, uh, uh, it's called The House of the Rising Dead. You can see... Uh, like The House Chris, of the Rising Sun? Yeah. Chris and me and the family and, and a psychic we employ, they're uh, conducting a seance and oh, the spirit box was wicked. This was all genuine. Nothing contrived in that show. And the, the chandelier starts moving when we're like starting to approach and all kinds of Mm. The fluey things were happening. It was really a spooky atmosphere. But it was just set down right in that uh, the voodooic section of New Orleans, you know, where they had voodoo and vodan. Um, yeah, you know, believed in that's you know, d derivatives of voodoo. Voodoo is the basically religious background of it. It's like the you know, a lot of people don't realize voodoo is very derivative of it's mixed with Christianity and right. root, root work and yeah uh, and good and, and good that's where you get that. Santeria of the saints because yeah. you take the African cultures and they're transposed over into the West Indies mm -hmm. and you got a mixture of what's imposed upon them you know the right mixture, and yeah. you know, as a conglomeration and so what they evolved mm -hmm. was what we now call voodoo and you know and it's very right. forms. Right. Speaking, speaking of that, let me just because we're talking about New Orleans and voodoo, there was a story I was reading about the other day. There was a uh, it's like a voodoo priestess in like in the early time, 1900s, I want to say like 1913, 14. Um, she was some sort of uh, like conjurer or whatever, and she had died. But when she said uh, before she died, she said, I'm going to take a certain amount of people with me when I die. And she performed all these different rituals and things like that. And on the day she died, it was on the day of or the day after there was a massive hurricane that killed 300 people. And apparently she haunts this swamp that's in new Orleans. <laughs> I don't know. See, I think, I think in some form you could believe that to be her recurrence, of course, 
And I think a lot of people would relate that to synchronicity of, of the fact. I think where I would relate to that is Pazuzu, who is very famously known because of the Exorcist and Reagan, you know, played with the Ouija board. Then here comes Pazuzu. Um, Pazuzu is the god of pestilence during Mesopotamian times. That means pestilence means that like disease, disease things like locusts would come yeah. in, pandemics would come in and wipe out what is necessary for humans to survive. So I think you can correlate to that. I think maybe it happened at the right point at the right time. And uh, maybe she knew um, this was going to occur because a lot of people that do um, some sort of occult work has a good understanding of astrology or like meteorology and they incorporate into these uh, more vaginal yeah they basically they create they they create a mixture of like you said science and magic and um like uh a very formidable figure in life and we all know him uh rasputin you know it could be debated he was really a holy man or not but one thing that Rasputin did know is he knew uh, natural science to a degree, new medicine to a small effect of where he was able to utilize certain things that weren't understood at that point in time in those certain regions and implement it where it made him look like he was more of a powerful being. So a lot of this can be uh, nuance, re- replication, and uh, misunderstanding of how it occurs. But I doubt she created the hurricane um, and uh, – Humans don't have that power unless they create like a yeah, weather machine. Yeah, I'll add to that too. Yeah, you know? go ahead. But it's like, uh, it's the law that something is a principle in occult studies and parapsychology mm-hmm. is called the untrue truths. That if something has enough presence and enough belief in it, it actually takes on its own reality mm-hmm. through various forms, through supposition, through you know imagination, uh, through mass hallucination. And you know, sometimes it actually creates the spirit takes on a life of its own. An example would be uh, the house in Harrisville, Rhode Island, that they, you know, colloquially call the, con- well, since the movie called it The Conjuring House, this Round Top Farm, you know, Round Top Hill in, uh, uh, Cumbly- I rather, uh, Barrington, Rhode Island, in Harrisville. And people get a weird feeling about that house. Well, that's because of its reputation. It's not that anything too evil or untoward happened there. But the house has taken on a magic of its own. People see it as a living entity. It's accrued so many memories. It's so notorious now that even if there was no paranormal activity, there would have to be a haunted house. It creates the haunting. The haunting can be synthesized. Although things do happen in that house. So, so for instance, so for instance, what you're saying is like, let's take the Dybbuk's box, for example. Like, so let's say your your house is creaking for a month straight, but you don't have a Dybbuk's box. You're not going to notice that <laughs> house creaking. But the minute you put that Dybbuk box in your house, right? Yeah. You see, you see this in the phenomenon when you watch a horror movie or a paranormal movie, like you start, like you hear something, you're like, you're startled because that's what your mind is uh, processing at that point. So you hear something that incorporates with that certain reality, then it becomes a part of the reality. So even though maybe your cat upstairs moved something, you, you felt it was like a ghost because, or, or, of course, of course, Halloween, Halloween kills. Maybe it was Michael Myers upstairs, uh, ready to come break your neck or something. Who knows? But that's what your mind would jump to because the fact that it's perceived with what you currently were doing. All right. So I have to say, uh, our friend Olivia here only comes on twice 
in this entire series once last year for you guys and again this oh, year. Oh, thank you, Olivia. So this is her favorite show. So she does have a couple questions. Olivia, if you want to take it and ask some questions. Hi, guys. Um, hey, girls. Big fan, big fan. Um, I've been so quiet because I've just been so, like, immersed in this conversation because I find it so interesting. Yeah, so I've been so quiet. Um, but going off that, like, I... I find myself watching scary stuff like all the time, like every day. It's kind of weird. But um, I find myself, like Scott was saying, like I hear creaks, I hear pipes, I hear things all the time in my house. Like, how do you know if it's just my mind playing tricks on me or if there's actually like a being? Because sometimes I walk down the hallway and I smell this smell, like a perfume, like a sweet smell like we were talking about before. And then it's gone. Like something that I don't wear, like a perfume scent that I don't wear, my family member doesn't wear. So like, how do I know if there's something in my house or if it's just my mind like tricking me? If it's not bothering you, you may never know. Yeah. You know, you can put two and two and three and three together and you know, what does it do? I'll give you an example of this. Um, a place where I was earlier today, the Johnston Historical Society in Johnston, Rhode Island. Our associate, at least Marco Carlson, is president of the JHS, the Johnston Historical Society. You'd almost swear that building is haunted. It's not old. It's only 22 years old, the building, you know, the main section of the building. But you, the, it sounds like footsteps walking up those stairs. And you can hear it approaching. You hear shifts and like, now, if some, if I didn't know the place and somebody told me it has a reputation for being haunted, I'd buy into that. So, yeah, I heard it. But I think it's all natural. It's just the structure of the building is the way it's put together. However, adjacent to that structure and on the same properties owned by the Johnston Historical Society is the 1825 Elijah Angel House. And that is haunted because the a man in a top hat has been seen there by three different witnesses corroborated each other's story but didn't know the other story now that's a well-dressed that's a well-dressed that's a well-dressed guy he's gonna stick in his guns he's gonna be well-dressed for eternity you know you want to dress for eternity if you can (laughs) i think you're kind of stuck with however you will share that you can't really change it if you want to i i don't know but yeah so uh you may never know if that's really a ghost in the house if you start asking it and you get some kind of answer Maybe then, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and though, though if you do that, there is a chance that if nothing is there, that you become so hypergullible that you start creating this imagination where this imagination starts uh, occurring, creating something, and uh, you know you project it where it starts becoming a part of your reality. So sometimes I tell the best people is if it's like Carl said, if it's not bothering you, then don't, you know, don't linger on it because uh, it, it, don't pay no mind to it. It won't, it won't keep going. You know, if it's just a normal Creek, then it's going to always be there, but you know, it'll just already, be a source of amusement. Yeah. You know, you put it aside and you know, a lot of, a lot of people forget, you know, houses, especially old houses uh, expand and contract. So, um, you know, wood, wood still breathes regardless if it's dead and, um, there's a lot to it, you know, and infiltration, exfiltration with air. So there's so so many certain things that you can look into um, that creates that. And that's what Carl and I try to do with, as demonologists. We know we try to kind of attempt to uh, tackle the natural before we go to the preternatural, supernatural, yes. because, you know, it's easier. It often is the natural. It's easy, too, yeah. yeah, it's easier to check off the natural boxes. 
to then you know say what what's what's unseeable, what's unknown, because you know the life after death is still one of the greatest theories, still one of the so, sought out things um, that has not been explained. So you know it would be easy to answer that if we had an answer. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Oh, with an answer, yeah. Has anyone has anyone ever like if you can communicate with a spirit? I think the first thing that I would ask, I'd be like, "What happens when you die?" We have. Tell me. We have. Like, just let me know. We'll do. We can go haunt me for the next twenty years. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Just tell I mean, me what happens. What, what if the answer was you're about to fucking find out? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it can't I, injure you. I'd be like, "Is Jesus real? Is Muhammad real? Any of these well, things?" I think Carl has a great answer to this. I just want to throw something in. I, I I think both of us have attempted this question. So many other people have, but. Um, I believe I dealt with an angelic presence in a case one time. And, you know, I, I, I could never put this recording out because some people say, oh, you're lying, James. But hey, you have to you have to believe me. If you don't, I really don't care. Um, I, I have a recording where this angelic presence took over an individual. And I really, truly believe this is what occurred due to all the dynamics that occurred. And I asked some serious questions about God and heaven. And um, I've got I got answers that changed my perspective, not in a bad way, but have changed my perspective. But I don't think I could ever let people hear that because people would just think I'm a crazy man. They, it, it would be too hard to explain beyond that what I've just sort of explained. And like I said, I'm not really in it for people to believe me. I'm in it to help people. So I had that experience and that's what's important to me. Carl's heard of a little bit of that uh, recording, but you know, I think uh, in that same factor, uh, that's, you know, that's what I dealt with. So, was it a positive thing? Yeah, it was a positive thing. Well, it was negative at first, to be honest with you. It was negative at first. Um, this person was being, uh, I believe, uh, taken over by hostile spirits, entities, whatever you want to coin these things. Um, and then something did come in uh, through invocation. And it was very daunting. Um, we were... Uh, we, we drove 22 hours to a case in Arkansas. I'll give you a little bit of a rundown. We drove 22 hours to a case in Arkansas free of charge. Um, and uh, we had completed the case. Children were involved. And it was a pretty bad case, in my opinion. And um, we're driving back. And the client calls us and says, we see this thing outside. And one of the people that I have is, uh, I believe, she, she's an energy worker. I really do believe in her abilities because she has... Um, sparked so many things that she should not know and not coincidental, uh, like things right on the nail. Like, um, and you know, the, the client had called her because they were mutual friends at one point. And that's why she had reached out to us because there was, she, we knew she would not, we didn't think she would be crazy because of that connection. So, the, um, this individual, Mandy, uh, I'll say her name because she knows she, uh, we told her this whole story. She doesn't remember any of it. We had to tell her everything and we played the recording for her. Um, and Mandy picks up the phone and uh, the client, like I said, says, Oh, we see this thing outside. And, you know, once again, there's children involved. So, Mandy's, you know, there's things called, uh, you know, channeling. Um, and, she, she started like going in this trance like state, like looking at the phone of the daughter, basically giving her like the ability. They say if you look at a you know remote viewing, if you look at a picture of the place or individual at the place, supposedly you can actually reject remote view into a location. She believes she can claim that. And sometimes she was spot on. I don't know how accurate this is. It sounds like it's out of a movie. And so she starts looking at the picture transfixed on this picture and she goes blank, stops talking. 
And we're driving, by the way, we're driving during all this. And we're in Tennessee. We're probably about uh, the western part of Tennessee. We just breached in from Arkansas. And uh, we don't know where the hell we are. Like Memphis area. Probably Memphis area. Probably more west, though, than that. Um, And um, so she comes to herself and she's like, what happened? We have... uh, this lady Chris in the back and my friend TJ at that point in time is driving. Um, there's a sudden shift in, in that car, uh, in that environment. Like it went from being lively and like us listening to music. We just had Hardee's, which we don't have up here. So we were like all excited that we just had Hardee's. Um, and uh, it, you just felt that dramatic shift. Carissa in the back seat goes totally pale white. And she uh, goes uh, into a different state. Mandy once then again goes in a different state, and they're both in this transfixed state of not themselves, not talking to us. And all of a sudden, and I wish I was making this up. Um, and mind you, we're driving. I, I have to. I have to keep being the dead horse here. Is that both uh, Mandy and Car- Carissa start attacking both of us? Like Mandy's attacking uh, TJ while he's driving. Like he's she's trying to claw at him, and she's a big woman. It's insane. It sounds so made up. Um, Carissa's attacking me, and in my mind, I'm telling TJ, you know, just try to find a church, find holy ground where in the south there's been churches, um, you know, because I do believe that to be holy land. So. All in itself, it was just a crazy situation. One thing after another, I keep going on and on about what happened, what what was said in the recording. But that angelic moment is the key moment that I will always remember because it was just once again another shift, an enlightenment, and that that feeling, like an epiphany, epiphany. Yeah. So it's not always bad, but what Carl and I deal with is ninety percent well. In 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 the bad realm, not always, of course, evil. That's what we get called about more well, is the, the inconvenient ones. Well, that was my only time I truly believe dealing with an angelic uh, angelic force uh, invading an individual. You could say possessing them, but it was in in, in a yeah, positive so there's sense. Yeah, a lot to it that's not answered. Was you know, yeah. was it really a spiritual experience? It certainly seemed to be for them. For sure, you know, it switched around, but get back to why spirits you know why don't they answer us why don't they tell us uh one spiritualist have said well it's, it is forbidden they are not allowed to tell us that mm-hmm. i think they can't i don't think they can answer us any better than we can answer it i think they don't know i'm still confused yeah i think they go into their yeah. and they find some form of existence a foothold in the next realm the next world and they just uh they're aware of us some of them are aware of us some of them are just playbacks I don't think they have the answers. I don't think that there's this vast repository of knowledge when somebody passes on. You know, hopefully they're going to a better place and they will have those answers. But I, as far as a spirit that we can communicate with, I don't think they can tell us much. Really. To, to Brian's point, when Brian asked that, like, um, you know, have you ever asked in your profession with like what you guys do, is it ever get to a point where it's very frustrating? Because like, James, you mentioned you finally had that like epiphany, which could take years to get that moment, like to make it worthwhile. Does it ever get to a point? It's like, you know, you have these, you're waiting for that big moment, the the <laughs> climax, and then it just you're getting these little little 
bits and pieces of things in certain jobs. So like, has it ever got to a point where you're just like frustrated and want to stop doing it? Is that even in you mm-hmm. or it just constantly, you, it's something that you just can't shake because it's always there. Well, you love being called back to it. Yeah. For some reason we're addicted to it. We keep coming back, even though it is, it is sometimes daunting and frustrating. So what, what do we really learn here? We learn about people's experiences, but we're not getting the answers of what's, you know, what's the force that's causing them? What's bringing it on? Where do they live or reside? Where do these things, these creatures we call demons actually exist? From whence do they spring? And we may not have complete answers to that, but we're always drawn back. It's that drive for discovery. It's the unusual. These are fundamental truths we're addressing here. You know, the and dichotomies, you know, this, the questions about life and death and continuance, you know, contemplating our own destinies. So we stick with it because it's fascinating, mm-hmm. even though we're not going to get a heck of a lot of uh, reliable answers. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's cool. Do you think anyone's ever considered it um, to be, what's the word for it? I don't want to say dimensions, but like a, a reality that we're not able to perceive yet because we haven't evolved to that point yet. But some people can like, like, you know how, like, obviously like Darwin with the theory of evolution over time with the birds, like there have to be some birds that were in the middle that had their beaks not fully evolved yet. Right. And you, you know, it's we, like, Oh, they had pieces. I know what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, is the, do you think that that's something like, like there are certain people that are able to perceive these things slightly, but not enough to know definitively, oh, yeah, this is exactly what it is. Or are you just like, is that what we're evolving to? Like we're able to perceive that reality because the, the only reason I ask that is because of I get into like all different types of stuff with like astrophysics and stuff like that and like dark energy and like dark matter. And it's something that's all around us. Like if you were to ask the question, like what is space made of? Like when you go out into space, like obviously earth is made up of, there's all sorts of chemistry here. There's oxygen molecules, there's hydrogen molecules and everything that you can't see, but you go into space, those things aren't present. There has to be something that's making up the physical components of space. So what is that? And a lot of times they always say, oh, it's, well, it's dark matter. It's dark energy, which we literally have no knowledge about whatsoever. Right. And it's stuff that like uh, Nikola Tesla was studying into. Mm-hmm. So that's why I asked like, well, you get about evolution. You get like, you know, was somebody like an Albert Einstein or a Nikola, Nikola Tesla that much further ahead, maybe a little jump, maybe marginally enough to make a difference. But he was, he could also be kind of childlike and insane in his ideas. Like believe we were talking to Martians and all, but you get these geniuses like, like Tesla. You know, maybe they are like an indigo child would be. Maybe they're that little jump ahead and they're seeing another reality. Maybe they're getting glimpses of it because they're all around us. Mm. And maybe that's mutating. Maybe that other reality is always changing. So interesting what you say about dark matter, because that's how sometimes we know that a spirit is there. Let's call it a demon or whatever. The spirit presence is known by inference, yeah. such as dark matter. How do we know this dark matter and, and that it actually dominates physical matter there's more dark matter filling this universe than there is physical stuff um by inference because something is pushing the planets and the solar system spreading galaxies apart from each other and it's defying known physics Mm -hmm. because it's accelerating 
there should yeah. be inertia. It should be slowing down as it loses impetus. But yeah. instead, it's it's going faster and faster. These these masses moving apart from each other, expanding the universe. Something's driving it. Something impedes are going through it. You know, it, it's got substance, but not substance that we know. That's all we know about it is inference. Like with the spirits, the demons, the, the whatever, you know, we infer because something's making the phenomena happen. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be something to it. There's got to be some presence to it. And it's just mind boggling. And some people have trouble believing there's a ghost. Well, now I believe in what you can see. I don't believe in these ghosts. I think you can explain everything. I think that's small potatoes compared to some of the grand celestial mysteries that confront yes. us. Like yeah, but you know what the, you know what the thing is too? Ghosts is such like a taboo word. There's so much negativity attached to it. It's like alien. If you say, like, yeah. look at what the government just did, right? They released all their files on UFOs, but they renamed them to UAPs because UFOs is to all the negativity and all. If you say UFO immediately in your head, before people even hear it. Yeah, they say, oh, well, I don't want to hear it. This is ridiculous. But if you say UAP, there's no ridiculousness attached oh, to it yet. It sounds almost scientific that way. Exactly. Uh, so the same thing The same thing goes for, if somebody says, I'm haunted by a ghost, like, ah, shut up, man. You're an idiot. Yeah. Well, you know? But if you say there's a spirit, there's a presence, there's something here, those are different terms. <laughs> so it, it carries a different connotation to it. Well, we're called demonologists. You know how easy it is to get a table at a restaurant? Because, you know, oh, we're the demonologists. Uh, we have a restaurant. Oh, yeah, you guys sit by yourself. You'll have the room to yourself. Over there, back of the, back of the yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take our children out of here, Henry. Did you hear what he said? What he is? He believes in these demons. You know? well, it's got a connotation, like a negative one, but you can't get away from that. If, yeah. if we were shy about it, we'd stop calling ourselves that because it's bound to be misunderstood. Yeah, Demonologists, uh, somebody who studies demons, but it's negative connotation. Yeah, and you hear the word interdimensional being and all that stuff. Like uh, one of the things that's important, uh, true scientific breakthrough was quantum theory. So you can look at quantum entanglement, you can look at string theory. Mm -hmm. um, I know Carl, that's very familiar with the conjuring, of course, you know, Carol, I, I hate to steal his story, but it's a fascinating story. It. Told it enough. Um, <laughs> is, you know, Carolyn Perrin, one of the things that she occurred with in with the seance room where the fireplace is, is that, you know, she came into a reality where two individuals thought she was the perpetrator or the invader or the intruder. And they looked at her like, what are you doing here? They're having a conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me. Is there some... Noted like, that they were dressed in old-fashioned clothes. Old-fashioned clothing. Pure tankards. So is that something she was projecting or did she somehow hit some, like, theory or some string which brought her to another... Yeah. multiverse or universe or reality um it's fascinating because is, is that what we experience is is the, in somewhere is there the 1500s and we're in 2021 is that possible is that really Those the past yeah, like, is like, that really what we're experiencing yeah yeah like all timelines are constantly going you know what's funny i i have just recently started thinking about this randomly do you think that when we dream because obviously you dream as yourself but like you go into dreams and you see situations, sometimes you see people that you're familiar with in the dream, but when you wake up, you have no clue who they were. You're like, I've never met that person, but I was so familiar with them. Do you think that when we dream, we potentially tap into other realities 
but we just look at it as like, oh, it's a dream. It's a dream. No, like what about like lucid dreams where they feel extremely real and you come out of it and you feel the emotion, Mm -hmm. you feel the pain, happiness, suffering, whatever it is. Maybe you, you are transported into another reality that is real and it is happening. I sure like a parallel that, universe because does does our mind create the faces the, and the people and the voices because you're right sometimes there are people uh, I think most of my dreams most of my dreams have people I've never met I never heard their voice be I mean they're you know not terribly unfamiliar they may be composites of people I've known but I've never heard that distinct voice I've never seen the person so our mind probably has the capacity to create other beings in our in our imaginations but it's it's freaky how we can do that you know and i have to wonder are we going someplace else some other sector some other vibration of our universe that's actually another dimension and we're meeting people there i wonder and i wonder how real it is yeah like it's it's experiences you're having in other timelines that for some reason when you go to sleep you tap into okay flashpoint okay I, I I definitely want to follow. I actually do have. I like to tell stories today, I guess. But um, talking about Lucy. Sorry, no, uh, yeah, no, yeah. no. Uh, I'm with James. No, you tell but, but a lucid dream I had that actually uh, came. You didn't say Lucifer, did you? Yes, I watched that. All hail Lucifer. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> it called? Um, Sign it off. Uh, but. Uh, a lucid dream that I had that actually came to become reality. Oh, I know this. This was um, a case in Western Massachusetts that I was dealing with, where um, I was in the interview stages. I had a phone interview. I had uh, an email interview with them. I do a questionnaire, and I had never physically met these people. Their family it was a family, three children, mm-hmm. a husband and a wife. Um, they had a property in Western Massachusetts, probably towards uh, the Berkshires. Uh, I can't forget that. I forget. It's probably a borough because there's so many boroughs out there. Um, and I had never physically seen these individuals. I had seen maybe their arms with a scratch or heard their stories and interpretations. I had their address, but I had never Google Earth it to see what is the surround. Am I going to a, a, a slumville or, or should I be safe? Should, what should I, who should I bring? You know, some, those are the things that you look into sometimes. Um, but I had never had done that. And that week of that case, I had heard enough details, especially with children being involved and it being Western Massachusetts. It was a, um, a, a urgent case to get involved with. Anytime there's children, uh, to me, it's important to assess, um, especially if it's abusive situation. Maybe there are certain things going on that are kind of smoke and mirrors. You have to uh, assess the children. So that week, I would say I was going that Saturday. It was probably that Monday or Sunday. And I had this prolific nightmare where I was on the way to this family's house. I got to the family's house. I met the family, the th- three children, the husband and wife, looked at the surroundings, saw the inside of the house, sat down to uh, do my third interview, which is the in-person interview, to see if they're kind of lying, how they tell their story, what what the cleanliness of the house, so many other things. Um, But instead of um, doing anything beyond the investigation, I mean, beyond the interview, I murdered every single one of those members of the family. I killed the children. I killed the husband and wife. Um, and I, when I mean kill them, I butchered them. And I, I took those emotions. Uh, I felt every single lingering emotion of me killing them. Like, this is the only, I, I remember every day. I wish I could tell you 
what I did um, was I remember every little grainy detail of what I did, but it would just make me seem so psychotic. As long as it's a dream. Um, right. But but the crazy thing about that nightmare and not to linger on that nightmare too long is remember, if you remember all the details from the beginning, when I got to that house, the environment, the house was the same to my nightmare. The little kids and the husband and wife were to the, the same image that i seen in my nightmare to the dimples to the acne on the face to the hair to the clothes they were wearing um and the inside was the same the only difference is that i did not kill that family that's a but, big difference that's but that is a that is a dream that's a significant difference that's that, a good difference that was a lucid dream that was uh, a dream that uh in some attempt was kind of provocation or way to attempt to scare me to keep away but it is. It shows you the possibilities of dreams being affected or having some uh, reality or uh, relation to um, these certain subjects. That's really cool. Honestly, that's like a perfect. Yeah, we're gonna do one final roundtable here because that story is like a perfect like wrap up. I would also want you guys to get to your plugs and what you got coming up. So I'll go around, uh, Brian. I think you're good after the whole dream thing, right? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Are you good? You got anything else? No, I'm good. All right. Uh, I know Brian's into like paranormal. He could go on for hours with that stuff and shit with the aliens. Let's not bring that up here. Even no, though no, 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 no aliens. You don't want to get alien pro tonight, guys. Olivia, go on if you got anything else. Um, I guess I'm curious, like. Do you find that you have a lot of families who get, you know, these that you attend to, like, or is it, I don't know, like, when I picture, like, because it's like in the movies, it's usually a family, you know, that's a haunted house and the kids are seeing things or animals. Do you find that you usually, like, go to get calls from, like, families? Well, more? generally, yes, because most people have families, you know, and then few of the people who contact us live alone. I feel bad for them when they do, you know, <laughs> yeah. they've got this kind of problem, but yes. usually it's something like that. And the other family, you know, the family members will corroborate, you know, mm -hmm. what, the, what the experience is. Generally it is kind of that scenario where it's a family environment, which, you know, could make for a good movie mm -hmm. too, you know, but it's that family unit. And there always seems to be a target. One person in particular is susceptible mm -hmm. to that haunting. Right. You know, I guess comment on what James said about, uh, having that dream and then the faces became real i mean it has to have something to do with his purpose and being there you know why he dreamt that he slaughtered them but you know, the faces were replicated and in reality i have had so many times especially when i was living in new york state where i would see a house and I, i'd actually stop and back up that house that's the house of my dreams i have often dreamt you know three or four times i have dreamt of that house and there it is and that's happened in Rhode Island. It's happened in New Hampshire. It's happened in uh, New York State. But uh, more so when I was in New York, it's, I know that house. Mm. I've dreamt it. So what does that tell us? Are we like interceding with uh, other realities? Mm. Are we like floating around them and part of them is real to us and part of them isn't? Mm. And they're interlocked somehow? It's just fascinating to speculate about. People have trouble believing in ghosts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't think they do. Uh, you got to remember, forty-four percent of people in America believe in ghosts. That's that a lot is. of people. Forty-four percent. 
I, I also, before we get to Ellie, James, I do want you to share the story off the air on why you did murder them because they, they, you know, gave you like unsweetened iced tea. Just something mm-hmm. stupid like that. It'd be phenomenal if they just served you some shit you didn't want and that's why you butchered them in your, your dream. So, okay, well, here you can tell us well, really why you did. Ellie, go on. What they okay. really want to know is why'd you do it, James? Why'd you that's do it? it? I know, I know, it's all a, a so dream. So if his family ever goes missing, we know who to look at is what's yeah. happening. I think, you just, I think you just confessed to the Kenny Cabin murders from like 1980 or whatever. You know, we, may <laughs> not, we may never know or come to terms with I why am James did this. The real Zodiac killer guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The real Zodiac yeah, killer. I actually wanted this came out on your show. Cry for help. Go on, Ellie. <laughs> okay, so... This might sound like I'm not trying to like make fun. So the house that I grew up in as a kid, um, the reason why the family moved out was because the dad had died out on his daily jog, just like drop dead, 40 years old. And so we kind of had this running, not necessarily a joke, because there were definitely inexplicable things that would go on in our house. But like, yeah, our house is like haunted. We have a ghost, but like he's friendly because stuff would just inexplicably go missing because it wasn't bad. And I'd be like, yeah, I think the dad has kind of just like taken on our family because his family moved to another house and like literally stuff would just go missing for a while and then just reappear in a completely different spot. And it was like happening often enough to each one of us where it's just like, no, I didn't hide your stuff or like this didn't go missing. Like my mom's sunglasses were in the linen closet one time and she was missing them for like two months. And then she was, you know, changing the linens or whatever. And then there they were just in the middle of the linens. And again, we've had just throughout the years living in the house, stuff would just go missing but still would reappear and kind of stuff is that like a plausible thing or am i just making that up as a kid for sure i think you know to to kind of off uh go off olivia's question as well related to yours is that uh what's what's the biggest thing is with uh haunting is is usually the individuals the human element involved with it the family dynamic is a key part to it so you know of course if you lost loved one and you know uh, they linger on and stay connected of course things could go missing like that reality still is kind of copacetic to what is going on currently um so yeah you know i think with what you guys uh, of course being there and the dynamics yeah i think it could correlate and relate because um, you know, in 1890, I believe it was, Charles Dickens wrote a pamphlet called Haunted Houses. It might have been a little earlier, but even Charles Dickens back then in the 1800s realized that the humans were the, the element to why a haunting occurs. So if you weren't there, would have that occurred? Probably not. So with you guys being a part of the puzzle, part of that dynamic, that's probably why it occurred. There was some relation and same thing with families, you know, we tend to see with in the demonic yeah. realm, um, the reason the people that are targeted the most um, is because maybe they have a, a deep ended trauma um, that still lingers and that is what is grasped upon. So there's always something that occurs. And even in the conjuring house, five ad- adolescent girls. There's, uh, there's always a the dynamic. Reason. It's not that this demonic yeah, if you will, entity comes into a house and preys upon. Right, like it wasn't. It wasn't like evil. Like I never got like an evil sense growing up. It was just li- right. literally stuff right. which inexplicably. It was like yeah. he was playing a trick on us, and I was telling friends, "Yeah, we have a friendly ghost in the house," and they would kind of look at us and I'd be like, "No, like seriously, like it's not a bat. He's not bat." And I'm assuming it was is the dad because again, it was a similar same family dynamic, two kids, whatever. And again, his family left, so I guess we were just kind of his new adopted family, and he didn't necessarily have a he problem. Felt comfortable. Right, he'd have a problem with us being in his house, obviously, because he didn't scare us away. But you know, like stuff would just 
yeah. go missing and cupboards would all of a sudden shut. And we had, it wouldn't scare you though, right? No, well, there's nothing ever, matters. It was nothing ever yeah. scary, but it's just like, this is happening too frequent and to all of us for this, like, we're not hiding our stuff from each other, you know? So it's like something else is, is happening here. Here it was incorporated into your household. It was just part and parcel of the house. He was a resident there. He or it was a resident. And he lived there, there too. too. He lived there too. We moved into his house. <laughs> he was just disembodied, you know? Maybe you, he was there before you, you know? And maybe he thought you were his family. And, Who knows? Right. Apportation. Surrogate family. Apportation, things vanishing and appearing in other places. That's a very real phenomenon. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it does happen. I know people... The co-author of my book, Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook, Lana Jan Brock, she has definitely had that happen. I've had it happen. Mm -hmm. You have an object and suddenly it's gone and it didn't roll under the under the bed and it's not under the bureau or the armoire. It's just gone. Mm -hmm. She had a ring. She's taking it off. It was somebody you know, that she uh, was parting ways with. She took off that ring, slipped off her hand and was gone. And boy, she took the screwdriver and opened up a vent. wasn't there. It was nowhere in that bathroom. She never found it. And yet, a religious medal with a Muslim insignia on it appeared. This is all within the same year, too. I think within the same month, appeared on her bed. And an old-fashioned cross appeared on her bed. And she brought that. She worked with somebody who was a Muslim, you know, like, uh, mid-Asian descent, and he uh, or origin. And he read it for her. And it was a symbol of peace and of Allah. And uh, sh these things were happening. They're real. I've had things transmute, change, change their structure, or just disappear. And it's more than that missing sock or cuffling. Sometimes they just go. Kind of like a t-shirt I send out, right, Carl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's going to be personally for me. That t-shirt is in my drawer. I so wish I had gone back. No providence allowed it. I'll send that you another fact, one. I'll send you another back one. Before a year, I will have it on me. I'll send you another one, man. Hey, uh, <laughs> all right, guys, before uh, we let you go, uh, tell us what you got coming up where people could come see you. Um, the reason I found you guys is because one of my coworkers went to one of your shows last year and gave me your card, and that's how we got in oh. touch. I haven't had the chance to come see you yet, after, obviously, because of COVID and shit, but when you are around here, I'd love to come see you. So what do you got? Be great. Yeah. So, yeah, you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram, dual demonology, uh, or the simple way, demonology.org. Um, and you can find us Carl Johnson on Facebook, James Anito on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and yeah, reach out to us for events. We're book solid. Um, it's close to you. So you might, I think, open Sunday still, but um, at the end of the month, Halloween weekend, we're at the Warren Secrets of the Supernatural Paracon. Yeah, that's happening in Waterbury, Connecticut. Okay. Um, and that's happening the 29th, 30th, and 31st. Yes. Nice three days. Um, nice. And then November 5th and 6th, we're in Salem, uh, Massachusetts for mm -hmm. Witch City Power Fest. Um, and then this this Saturday, there's still tickets. I'll be Carl cannot because he's doing a Slater Mill thing. Uh, but I'm doing a Ver in Vermont, Proctor, Vermont, Wilson Castle for the Monster Mash Bash. And uh, we're Maybe in December we'll be in um, some part of maybe Catskill, New York. Okay. Yeah, we got a connection. Um, there. Fishkill, or uh, yeah, something around that area. Fishkill, New York. Uh, we'll be doing a brewery um, um, sometime in December. All right, man. Keep in touch. Seriously, uh, let us know if you're around here. And uh, once again, we will. We look forward. It's been too long waiting to meet you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again.